Welcome to the MS Dev Show episode number 33. This week we talked to Matthias and Jana about the massive global opportunities for mobile apps, artificial intelligence is now creating magic tricks, and home automation for $5. Hey Carl, how's that new snowblower working? Well, it's got to work out this morning. <laughs> yeah. How much did you get by you? Uh, we got about five or six inches out by us. So yeah. Yeah. Most of the people I work with don't, don't understand what that's like to get, uh, you know, just pounded with snow. We have, uh, we have quite a bit here. Tractor works pretty good. Uh, so anything else going on, Carl? Or should we get to it? Nope. I, I think we should get on to our guest, uh, kind of wrapping up our, our, our payment and you know monetization segment here that we've kind of been going on for the last couple of episodes so i'm excited to talk to the guests today yeah i have i definitely have a lot of questions so today we have matthias levak and yana metsama from fortumo did i get that right close enough yeah more, more or less. <laughs> hello hello from yeah Rome. hi yeah hey how's it going so yeah we're here to talk about uh, mobile payments uh, so we're going to jump into the news first and, uh, you guys feel free to, to jump in and, uh, and comment. So let's see what we got here, Carl. Artificial intelligence is now creating its own magic tricks. Yeah. What so, is this about? Yeah, this is, looks cool. Yeah. Some researchers at uh, Queen Mary university have, uh, used artificial intelligence and, um, artificial intelligence has been able to generate new, uh, types of magic tricks that actual magicians have been able to use and perform live. And, uh, okay. yeah, I, I just think it's kind of cool using, uh, granted, these are a little bit permutations on a little bit more mathematical based, uh, magic tricks, but you know, it's using a little bit more of that deep learning and, you know, some of that theoretical stuff to provide, you know, actual outcomes that are useful to people. This is interesting. So what, how did they, yeah, the article looks kind of vague on how they actually did it. Well, well oh, so they basically it looks like sort of like machine learning. Yep. And okay. And uh, you know, they, they've generated, you know, like these are, you know, permutations on kind of existing tricks that they were able to quantify in a way that these programs were able to understand, but they they were able to put new twists on them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just thought it was kind of cool being able to use computers and, you know, some of the stuff that we use every day. Um, to, you know, help with entertainment and, and, and stuff like that. And they're even, uh, for one of these apps, it even involves a mobile, uh, Android app in order to pull off the, uh, the magic trick. So I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. I see that there's like a little video there. That's pretty cool. Everybody should check that out. <clears throat> yeah. The article talks about how uh, they're using artificial intelligence, What which, what I really think they mean by that, it looks like what they're doing is, is machine learning and classifications and then using that to just come up with different permutations and probably rate, you know, using mm-hmm. hi- historical magic tricks, trying to figure out how how good the new magic trick is. So it, it appears that that's what they're doing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, as long as they don't uh, make anything disappear, uh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, is this real magic, Carl, or is this, these are just tricks, right? As far as I know, they're just tricks. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the next one here I found, this was kind of cool because I've always wondered under the hood how this worked. This is detecting barcodes and images. This one specifically with Python and OpenCV. So this was the the article that I found, but there's a whole bunch of links in here and you can actually kind of click through a whole bunch of links for a while because it, it links to like a stack overflow question asking how to do barcode detection and not saying like, Hey, what library do I purchase to do barcode detection? This is, 
you know, like how do I actually build an algorithm that'll do barcode detection? And it's, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Like, I, you know, I can't imagine ever doing it this way myself. Cause you know, the point is you'd probably use a third party library, but what it essentially is doing is it's doing edge detection and, and it really is just looking for, it, it's, it's a clever way of looking for that barcode pattern. You know, the, the, the bars that are switching between, you know, the white, the alternating black and white bars. And, and, and that's actually the thing I thought was, you know, I kind of discounted this article at first when I first saw the, the title, mm-hmm. because I thought it was like, oh, just reading barcodes when you take an image of it. And, you know, well, I don't know how to do that. You know, that's kind of been done, but the kind of shows using this, you know, open CV, you know, it's kind of, you know, the default way to do analysis on images, mm-hmm. you know, you know, how do you even know that something is a barcode? Right. You know, it's just by just by showing a picture at it. And it kind of went through the steps that it took with code in order to like we, given a random picture, we can pull out, hey, this is the area that has a barcode in it. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a really cool part of this article. Yeah, because I always wondered how that worked, because, I mean, they work surprisingly well. I'm sure you've seen the apps where you, you know, it's actually put, draws a, a square around that portion of the image. And they, they work pretty darn well. I mean, usually the weak spot is if the if the camera doesn't support autofocus or something like that. But, um, you know, I didn't go through and kind of parse this line by line, but it I, I just love these types of articles because they show you, you know, uh, something that, that we sort of take for granted. And it really comes down to just applying a little bit of math and science to it. And, you know, it's it's not that complicated. I mean, if you had to. If you had to implement this yourself, as long as you had access to some of these, um, you know, uh, visual processing libraries, it would be pretty easy. It just turns it into much simpler math at that point. Okay, Windows 10 Store. What is this one? Yeah, one of the things that, you know, is kind of up in the air is Windows 10. What are all the features that it's going to have? And one of the things that we've been told for a while is in Windows 10, the store is going to be combined. Xbox, the the desktop store, Windows Phone store, everything. And uh, one of the things that uh, Microsoft uh, wrote an article about recently is what does that mean for enterprises? So they they did mention in this article that there's going to be a web-based portal store. You can either have an on-premises store for your internal apps, or you could have a private section in the public store if you're a smaller and you don't have that capability to you know host that yourself. Um, you you can connect with your Azure Active Directory accounts, not necessarily a Microsoft account. And uh, one of the really cool things is you'll be able to buy batches of an app. So if there's a, an app that your uh, business depends upon, you could buy like 100 of them and you can assign them out as you need to. Uh, you can push them to devices. You can uninstall them to devices. And what I thought was really cool is you can transfer them. So if you put them, uh, you know, put it on, you know, one person's phone and later on they don't need it, but somebody else does, you can remove it from that phone and transfer that license over to the new one. So I, I think there's a lot of really cool new capabilities uh, with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, read the article for a few more details. No, this is really, really cool. So I, I actually wasn't, I hadn't seen this. So this is, this is pretty cool. This makes it really easy because this is a big problem right now. It's, it's kind of a hassle uh, to, to do this. And, and in fact, I mean, does, does Apple or Android, do they do anything like this? No. Because I know I, I, back in the day they didn't. At, at least iOS doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know when we were together, this was a, 
a common problem that we ran into is, you know, how do we manage this, mm-hmm. you know, this app management? And it, it was a pain. And mm-hmm. this is seems to be a really nice way to give corporations and small businesses both both of them together, you know, the, the large and the small, the tools that they need to, you know, help assist them in their in their daily jobs. Yeah. When you and I worked together, we bought these like giant iPad racks where you'd put, you know, you put them in all the slots and charge them. And it was just, it was ridiculous. Somebody had to manually sit there and go through. And of course, anytime you introduce a human, there's going to be mistakes. So, you know, the app is missing from, you know, iPad number six. Yeah, definitely for smaller companies that uh, are small enough that they don't take the enterprise solution, enterprise uh, licensing, then basically you have one user with their uh, Mac or iOS and mm-hmm. you buy them the app you need and uh, and then it's theirs. Uh, it's their Apple account, uh, iCloud account, and you can't really easily Yeah, that's a good point. It. Uh, but uh, yeah, with this, if uh, that really simplifies it for smaller companies. No, that's a good point. I have on my Apple account, I have, you know, like $200 worth of uh, and my my Apple account, you know, covers Mac and uh, iPhone. Right. So I have 200 plus dollars worth of apps on there that I don't use anymore. But you're right. Those were purchased as a user. And it, it's just a horrible way of managing things in the enterprise world. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, doesn't make sense that you if you come with your own phone that you mm-hmm. then tie it to your company account to get those work apps. So it, it's a mess, and uh, glad to see Microsoft is moving forward in solving it. But others mm-hmm. need to need to make their moves as well. Yep. Let's see what do we got here, Carl? Five dollar RF controlled light sockets. Yeah, um, I, I love the website Hackaday, and that's where this comes from. And they kind of outline a process because uh, home automation is is one of the huge things nowadays. And a lot of the solutions are very expensive. I know like the Philips Hue light bulbs, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they are, but just for two or three light bulbs in the base station, it's well over a hundred US dollars. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd like to check it out, but that is just way too expensive. Um, but uh, this person found uh, a four pack of these RF uh, controlled light bulbs in the store for $20, which is, you know, $5 a light bulb. And he kind of went and he took them apart and to see, you know, what made them run. And he found out that there's these little just standard EPROMs on there. And he just dumped the, the code from them and noticed that the only thing different on them was a 20 byte section, which, you know, you think about it, what's the one thing different between all of these? It has to be the channel that the RF, uh, that it's going to respond to. Right. So he kind of took apart the remote and did a dump on there. And then he was able to reverse engineer that and put that on an Arduino in order for him to use the Arduino to RF control all of these lights. And because before he only had access to the four different, you know, individual ones, he could actually, because these were unprotected EPROMs, he, he could actually reflash them with any frequency he wanted and he could just buy more and more light bulbs if he wanted to mm-hmm. and have his Arduino remotely control them all at once. This so, is really cool. I, I got to read this first paragraph because this this is the, I, I agree with this so much. OK, so this is tens of thousands of dollars worth of market research I'm about to spill. So buckle up. I have a spreadsheet filled with hundreds of projects and products that are solutions to quote unquote home automation, according to their creators. The only common theme relays home automation is just internet connected relays tied to mains. You're welcome. <laughs> I love that. Cause that is, I, I, I've gone to, you know, um, 
IoT, you know, Internet of Things uh, conferences for for years. I've seen sort of an evolution, and I, I think I think things are finally starting to mature in that space. But you know, if you look at five years ago versus today, there's still all these companies. You know, look at the Philips Hue. Like everybody sort of drools over that, but you know, we could have done that five years ago easily. Um, so I, I, I get such a kick out of this. This guy sums it up pretty good. This is, this is pretty cool. I mean, this, this is really what's going to happen too. is this stuff is, and that, th- that's really what changes the game is the cost. Um, I mean, this stuff costs nothing to do. Yeah. Right now it's the coolness factor with, uh, Philips Hue and others, but yeah, yeah the technology really doesn't cost a thing. And yeah. yeah, you can order from China, those, uh, light bulbs that, pretty much look and feel the same as the hue but the marketing isn't that good and the mobile app isn't there but yeah uh, yeah they the chinese copycats will get there and uh, the prices will get, get down and it will be mainstream right yeah. now it's the early adopters space still yeah and i think you pointed out the problem right you said the their app isn't that good like they shouldn't have to write an app i mean this this, this stuff I, i've said it many times on this show the interoperability is the issue right so I should be able to use a, a generic app, you know, using a, a generic protocol like all join or something like that where I can control these devices. And we also need that um, sort of grammar of, of device types, right? I mean, this right here, this is a light bulb that needs an address and you need to be able to turn it on and off. That's it. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Yeah, so you should be able to use, you shouldn't have to use any kind of proprietary software for that. Exactly. It needs to become an industry st- standard, how you, yep talk to your uh, light bulb basically and i think uh yeah there there is some movement in that space so yep. apple with their home kit whatever that will do yep. uh, and uh, yeah we'll see what happens but uh, i don't see us using uh, five different apps in uh, every room to turn our lights bulb light bulbs on and off in five years it will be a standard uh, yep and then i mentioned all join so microsoft is part of the all seen alliance and there are, I think there's like 50 plus companies that are part of that. And it's using the all join standard, which is really saying, this is how you actually do the communication. This is what the network topology looks like within a home or within a commercial environment. But again, um, I think the next step is, is these, these devices talking to each other, but then also, um, you know, having these, these, having some basic uh, concepts, you know, this is a light bulb, it can turn on and off. Or it can be dimmed or it can, uh, um, you know, change colors. And then we can take a Philips Hue bulb and buy We can buy that today and we say, OK, this is a great light bulb. And then tomorrow, whenever there's a five dollar option from China, um, it, it supports that same grammar. So we just plug it in. We say, oh, by the way, this this ID replaces this one and we're good to go. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, complicated thing. Then you're going to get adoption. You know, until then, you know, nobody. And when I say nobody, I mean, you know, it's a rounding error. How many people are buying the Philips Hue bulb? I could be wrong on that. I'm sure there's lots of people, but, you know, I don't know anybody with one. Um, I think I might have somebody might have mentioned it. You don't have one, do you, Carl? No, I don't. Okay, I think somebody one time might have said that they had one. Um, But, you know, it's one. You know, how many bulbs? You you have like 100 light bulbs in your house. You, what was that? You're in a you're in a shop and you see that okay th- three light bulbs one hundred fifty bucks. 
Yeah. You can't really ra- rationalize that uh, that impulse buy. Uh, yeah. Th- that's a bit uh, too expensive. And yeah, today we're talking about uh, light bulbs, and this is this space is moving somewhere. But uh, yeah, home automation is so much more, uh, like uh, automatic uh, door locking, unlocking. That there are a so- couple of kickstarters uh, have been in that space. But uh, yeah, we need the, the common language for those as well. And uh, yeah. The music uh, centers uh, with their Bluetooth uh, playing capabilities, uh, that needs to be a part of home automation and standard mm-hmm. library as well. Uh, right now, there's Chromecast, there is Apple Apple TV, Apple Pay, pay uh, Play, uh, too mm-hmm. many options. Yeah. And once we clear out the issue at uh, home, then we can all start adopting the bring your own light bulb policy at companies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, so yeah, we we really need to have a, an entire episode on home automation one of these days, but let's let's move on. Uh, Highway at night, uh, JavaScript in ten twenty three bytes. Have you seen this, Carl? Yes, I did. And just uh, for anybody who is going to click on the link, it does not work in IE, so uh, it works fine in Chrome. Oh, it but doesn't work in IE, huh? No, or at least not in IE eleven. Interesting. So yeah, if you click, um, so whenever you, well, we'll include a link in the show notes, but you go to the, the demo page and it says a demo click here. Um, you know, I looked at this, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's, it's not really anything useful, but it's, it's like, a you're basically in a first person car, you're driving around, uh, and you drive around at night, like outside there's streetlights, there's other cars, there's stars, there's a moon, you drive through tunnels, Hills. Um, and it, yeah, and it hills and it had a good frame rate too. And you think, oh, okay, this looks kind of cheesy. And, uh, you know, how much JavaScript does this take? I mean, it's only just over, it's one, it's basically one kilobyte, uh, which is, which is pretty wild. And then, I mean, you get to take a look at the code and, and see what it takes to do something like this. Yeah. I mean, even looking at the code, I mean, I'm not a JavaScript expert, but I mean, there is not much there and it's mostly styling. Yeah. And then and then if you lo- actually look at the, the, the code, whenever it's all um, I don't know if you call it minified, but if the whites when the white space is removed, if you if you look at it, I mean, it's literally no longer than like a standard news story that you'd read in a newspaper. Well, like a paragraph, I should say, from a news story. It's that short. So it's it's pretty wild. And it doesn't really loop as well. It's uh, the landscape changes a lot so yeah it's like auto it's like um what do you call that um not progressive loading but it's it's uh, i don't know it's like dynamically generated as it goes yeah it, it looks really amazing with so little code amazing yep and then there's a whole bunch of different demos uh because this is part of the the js1k challenge um so there there's actually a lot of cool examples here some of these are like um physics demonstrations with um you know you get like a metallic goo with like cool lighting and um so it just shows you like how far you can uh, you can push some of these things okay so moving on past the news let's get to our guests um who you've already heard but uh so you guys are from uh fortumo and you're here to talk essentially about mobile payments and and this is this is good because you know carl and i were talking before the show and, uh, he, you know, he's like, I don't I don't know much about how this works. And um, is it were we talking about this car or was a different topic? I can't remember. It, oh, I think it, it was a different topic. But but the point is, like, that's the perfect time to uh, it's perfect time to talk to these people. All right. Yeah. Um, this is how we learn. 
So, um, so first of all, I, I guess just kind of kicking it off, uh, I want to, um, um, I want to, you know, understand all of this stuff fully, but I, I'm kind of curious, you know, where you, who, who doesn't use a credit card for app purchases and why, and can you kind of explain some of the background here? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's quite common question that we get during conferences is mm-hmm. what you mentioned about mobile payments that people usually understand that mobile payments are you know Stripe or or Square or or other products that basically just put their credit card inside of your phone mm-hmm. uh, and what we do is carrier billing so instead of using credit cards as kind of the uh, processing medium uh, we use the mobile phone as the processing medium. Uh, you probably have a credit card. Uh, I have a credit card. I'm guessing Carl also has one and Jan also has one as well. So we're living in uh, pretty high income countries. Uh, credit cards are available to most uh, people and mm-hmm. it's not really, uh, really an issue here. Um, when we go beyond North America and Western Europe, uh, the situation changes quite uh, dramatically. So, for example, if uh, we look at the market like uh, Vietnam, which is one of the biggest markets for for Windows Phone, uh, or if we look at India, uh, Brazil, uh, credit card penetration there is extremely low and it can be, you know, almost 10 times uh, smaller than smartphone ownership, which is right now the case in India, where there's about 19 million credit cards and already 160 million smartphones. And I oh, wow. believe there, there's also been a couple of articles that have mentioned that uh, India will pretty soon be overtaking the U.S. in uh, in smartphone ownership. So oh, wow. if, if we look at kind of it on a global level, then uh, emerging markets, most people there already have a smartphone, uh, but most of them don't have a credit card. And that's kind of the uh, the issue or challenge that uh, that we are trying to trying to solve at Fortuna. Yeah, I think in the U.S. we have this this bias towards, um, you know, we 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 see people around us and we see the devices that they're using and 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 we we sort of think that the whole world looks like that. But um, I think it's good to to talk to people, um, you know, outside the U.S. and and see what the the reality is. You know, I know we've talked on the show before about, um, you know, carriers in other parts of the world don't uh, subsidize the phones, so you end up having a lot different phone landscape, you know, uh, here in the U S the, you know, iPhone and Android are popular. If you go into San Francisco, it's like, I don't know the actual statistic, but it's like 80% iPhones, you know, 20 or 19% Android and then 1% windows phone. Um, whenever you start to get in the rest of the U S that, that starts to change, but you know, in general, it's still iPhone and Android world. And then you, you start to get into other countries and Android really starts to dominate in certain countries. Windows phone dominates in a couple countries. Um, you know, the world is, um, is, is, it's, it's a lot different than, than what we see in the U S. So that, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that we talked to you guys. Cause, um, you know, just to kind of get a picture of what, what the rest of the world looks like. This is yeah. Cool. I mean, if, if we go beyond, beyond the U S then windows phone has a small market share in the country, yeah. but, uh, because of the Nokia partnership and Nokia being an extremely well-known brand in most emerging markets, because, you know, mm-hmm. they will be, they were building these 20, $20 bricks. Basically, uh, the brand was the same with the windows phone. So people who switched over from a, from a feature phone to a smartphone, Nokia was already kind of a good quality, uh, 
brand that they had they had already used before. And that's the, the kind of the reason, reason why, for example, I think um, in Vietnam, Windows Phone right now has something like a 26% market share. And in mm -hmm. India, it's two times as big as iPhone. Same, it's equal in Brazil, uh, doing really well in Italy. So there's there's some markets where, where Windows Phone is doing really well. And, uh, and it's kind of the, the brand knowledge of, uh, of, of Nokia and, and everything behind that, the quality, the quality there. So one, one more quick follow-up question. So in India, you mentioned how many phones there are and, and how uh, relatively rare credit cards are. Do you have any idea why credit cards are not popular there? It's, it's not the question of, uh, of popularity, but rather mm -hmm. just the overall um, uh, economic landscape. So if you look at okay. the income of Indi uh, an average uh, Indian compared to a person living in the US, I think the income difference is something like 40 times, mm -hmm. four zero times. Uh, okay. So it's just the reality that uh, the informal economy is extremely big. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, most of the transactions are done in cash and people uh, either don't uh, qualify for a credit card or even if they do qualify qualify for one, there's not much of a use case because if you go to a local market in India, try to purchase, uh, you know, uh, vegetables, for example, most likely the merchant isn't going to have a credit card, uh, you know, processor either. So there, okay. there's not much, uh, not much use there. Yeah. So there's that feedback loop, you know, they don't, they don't, they, they never see credit cards being used. Um, so they, you know, they, the consumers don't have them and then because the consumers don't have them, the stores don't take them. And that just keeps reinforcing that. Interesting. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more on how carrier billing worked, especially from your point of view on providing, you know, this service and partnering with carriers around the world, especially in these, you know, fragmented, you know, markets. Yeah. So Technically speaking, it uh, it is kind of similar to credit card billing, uh, meaning that if you as an end user uh, initiate the purchase, then we will contact your um, carrier, check whether whether you are allowed to make the purchase, whether you have enough money uh, on your pay as you go card, and if you do, then we yeah mark it down that okay, let's uh, charge you for two euros, ten bucks. And uh, then the payment is done. And um, from the end user perspective, uh, it's uh, much more seamless uh, since you don't need to type anything in. Uh, if we have your uh, phone number and uh, we know that you have your phone, you're not charging to your friend, then we can, based on that phone number, we can just uh, agree with your carrier that, okay, let's charge you. So no hassle in uh, entering the credit card numbers and CVVs and expir expiration dates. That's interesting. So I've actually done this. I, I, um, I don't remember if it was intentional or by accident, but, um, I know on windows phone, it pops up, um, like whenever you purchase an app and you can, um, like I can bill it to AT&T for example, and it just shows up on my bill. And I think, um, they have, you know, they've AT&T has run a credit check and they sort of give it to me on credit and I'll show up my next bill. But you were saying some of these are, um, it's probably more common in the rest of the world. So they're, they're actually not their sell plan is not on credit. They're, they're actually doing a prepay and they can sort of, you know, charge up, you know, put some extra money in there and then they can use that for app purchases. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, exactly. So okay. that's, a, again, uh, one very crucial points in emerging markets. 
is that uh, people actually have a lot of uh, pay as you go card pay-as-you-go cards, uh, meaning okay. that they don't have a contract. Uh, they buy a SIM, uh, load like 10 euros on it, and then uh, then they spend, spend the money. And if the money is spent, then you can't make any purchases, any calls until you charge it again. And uh, yeah, we can also work with those cards. Okay. Now, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more, like, you know, how, how do you, how does Fortumo go and create these, you know, partner relationships with all the carriers around the world, you know, being, you know, you know, one company, I, I imagine that's a pretty big challenge reaching out to, you know, the dozens and hundreds of, of different carriers around the world. So yeah, right now, uh, Fortumo is connected to approximately 350 mobile operators across 80 markets, which means 350 different contacts and 350 <laughs> different uh, relationships to maintain. So it's a big load of work. Uh, on one hand, it it's rather pu puts a big pressure on us. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's it kind of creates a entry barrier to the market, which means that competition for us, we have a couple, a couple of big global competitors, but let's say uh, you want to get started with the, uh, with the same business, then we've been building up these relationships for the past seven years. So mm -hmm. most likely you can do it a bit faster, but it will still take a couple of years at least for you to, to catch up to us. And that's kind of one of our also main um, main benefits to the to the developer is that if they want to use carrier billing, uh, they have basically the choice of going to each mobile operator separately, negotiating uh, themselves payouts, doing technical integration, and then plugging that into the app, and they'll be ready in about seven years. Uh, yeah. Or they can come and uh, integrate our payment solution. Uh, Put the payments live and start processing right now. So what we kind of remove is the time to market for the for the carrier billing. But it's definitely not an easy business. So dealing with 350 different carriers, we have a separate team for that, and I think they are relatively busy all all the time. Okay. Yeah, this is starting to make a ton of sense because if I wanted to do this just in the U.S., it'd be Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile. I mean, those are I would get most people, but that would still be, you know, not even everybody. So that's, uh, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the, even for, for kind of individual developers, even if we're talking about uh, big gaming or, or app development companies, then uh, mobile operators usually aren't the biggest or rather the fastest uh, movers in terms of, uh, you know, providing their APIs, opening them up to developers and so on. So it's a relatively slow moving industry uh, and it takes time to get these it even takes us for us time to get these partnerships signed and, uh, and integrated and if you're a developer who hasn't done it before it's going to take even even more time mm -hmm. okay so is there so what what is the trend here are people it, it, you know is the whole pie I, I assume the whole pie is growing because you, you said that um, people are you know, there's more and more smartphones being sold. Is there a trend toward uh, these new cell phones then going toward carrier billing, credit cards? Is it a, is it a mix of both? What what are the trends? If we look at the global data, then then right now we mainly deal with uh, with gaming merchants, so uh, people building uh, game games for 
uh, for mobile devices. So my data is from a company called Super Data Research. They look at the gaming industry globally. And I think their data says that approximately 20% of transactions right now are done uh, uh, done using mobile payments. And that kind of varies by region. So, for example, in the U.S., it might be somewhere like 5%. Right. Uh, in a region like uh, Southeast Asia, uh, which has a lot less credit cards, uh, it might be as high as, as 25%. But you but, said but, it's 20% overall is, is carrier build? Yeah, in okay. kind of looking at the entire global gaming ecosystem, then roughly 20% of transactions are, are done using carrier billing. And what kind of we're, we're propagating is not that people should stick only to, to one payment method, uh, that they should use only carrier billing, for example, because in a country like US, it's most likely credit cards that are more efficient. Mm -hmm. So, so what we usually recommend developers to do is integrate several, several different payment methods, you know, whether it's credit cards, carrier billing, uh, Alipay, uh, some local e-wallet solution in Brazil, and then test out, do A-B testing in, uh, in their web service or app and see how, how each payment method, uh, performs, uh, performs. And then basically move, move, uh, forward from, from there. And, but but the biggest growth I think we have seen over the past year is is coming from uh, from emerging markets. So we actually launched India about uh, a year and two months ago, and it has been uh, growing extremely extremely quick for us. And I think uh, looking at the number of transactions, it's about ten times bigger than than any other market that we're we're operating in. Okay. Now, just trying to think of you know. How how does this look like from a developer's point of view on getting it into my app? You know, is is Fortumo limited to in-app purchases or do you provide additional monetization models like subscriptions or anything else? So mainly uh, we provide uh, in-app purchasing. Uh, if you have a paid app and you want to uh, basically sell it to customers on the Windows Phone Store or Windows 8 mm -hmm. Store, then uh, there we really cannot help you. So that's the place where you have to use the official Microsoft billing solution. If we're talking about in-app purchasing, then uh, then that's where where we come in. Uh, regarding subscriptions on on Windows Phone or Windows 8, we don't have it yet, but things might uh, change uh, quite soon in the future. So we'll definitely uh, keep you updated on on that. Yeah, and technically, as Matt just told, then uh, we don't want uh, developers to replace uh, Windows payments, but rather uh, have a nice add-on in countries where uh, it converts better. So that in mind, uh, we've tried to keep our SDK as easy to integrate as well uh, next to Windows payments. Uh, so it's one simple uh, package that you download from NuGet, uh, one simple method you initialize, it's very similar to Windows Marketplace integration. One method where you catch the payment results, so keeping uh, keeping the integration uh, relatively easy as well. Hey, and then I guess, like a, a as a follow up question, is is there a way that I could um, use Fortumo in a, in a way that if I know that the United States really isn't going to have this carrier billing thing, that I can just ignore them? Or is, or is that something I have to handle on my own in code? So, you know, for, like you said, the North America and Western Europe, 
you know, I know those are, are going well through the, the native stores, but the, I, I do want to catch the rest of the world using, you know, the carrier billing. Is, is that something easy to separate? Yeah, so from our side, uh, we don't, we leave everything up to the developer in the sense that you can use Fortumo in one country, you can use it only in Latin America, you can use it only in, I don't know, Western Europe and North Africa, uh, or you can use us in all 81 markets. So we, we leave kind of the decision on where where you want to process the payments uh, up, up to you, basically. So it's basically if you create an account with Fortumo, then the first step that you need to do in order to start the integration is to set up a payment service. So you need to define what you're selling, uh, how much you're selling it for, and then also provide the list of countries where you want to sell it in. So that's where where kind of the developer can uh, can set it up on on their own on whether, for example, they want to switch us on in the US or or not. Yeah, and uh, obviously, if you then uh, later on decide to add or remove countries based on your results, then you don't need to publish your app again. You can easily just add or remove countries from our dashboard. So, uh, and if a new countries become available, we're operating in Atrium markets uh, right now, then you can decide, okay, this sounds like a good market for me. I want to try it out. Just enable it on the, on our dashboard and uh, you're golden. And Very cool. Yeah, since uh, developers ask us this question quite a lot, is that Microsoft or rather Windows Phone Store itself also has carrier billing. So why should I use uh, Fortumo billing as well? And here again, you know, if Microsoft already has the carrier billing available, I believe it's right now uh, 35 or 40 different countries and 50 or 60 different mobile operators. So it's perfectly fine if the developer uses the uh, Microsoft provided carrier billing solution. But right now there's still a big bunch of countries and mobile operators where uh, Microsoft doesn't have the carrier billing relationships and kind of what I going back to what I spoke about earlier, it's taken us seven years to build these relationships up. So getting to the same level in terms of coverage will probably still take some time. So it's most likely not going to happen that we wake up tomorrow and Microsoft has 350 uh, carrier integrations. So what we recommend developers do is use the Microsoft billing carrier billing solution in those markets where they have it. And if they see that, for example, they have a lot of users in India who aren't making any payments, then it may be also is reasonable to uh, to to integrate uh, for Chumo as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, people could be leaving money on the table, right? And that's just silly. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of uh, the thing is that. Um, I think for most developers, the perception is that uh, there isn't any money in those markets anyway. So why why should I even bother, you know, doing something to to enable payments for people in in Brazil or or Indonesia or wherever? Uh, but our ex- experience is exactly the opposite. So actually, if you give people access to a payment method uh, that they can actually use instead of a credit card. Uh, and if you charge them the reasonable uh, amount of money, then they are willing to to make payments if you have a good app. So. Yeah, I mean, I would argue, I mean, it, it, keep, it keeps getting easier and easier to uh, publish your app to these other markets. And if you guys are handling the, you know, the the billing portion of it and, and all of these markets, you know, it's a 
it just seems like a, an easy way to expand your reach with not a lot of extra work and, and have a, a huge potential upside. Um, especially, you know, I would think depending on the, the app that you have as well, but, um, I think ignoring the global market is getting, uh, it's getting harder and harder to do. I mean, I think it, I think it happened on the web. Um, it was, you know, the web used to be really uh, U.S. focused and, and e-commerce and things like that were really focused on the U.S. And then people realized that there were these huge untapped markets all around the world. And uh, I mean, that's that's where things are heading. So if you want to be ahead of the curve, um, you know, target the entire world. There's 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 so much money out there, so much opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So it's a question of how how much are you happy with? You know, if you're if you're content with having only only paying users in the U.S. and you're fine with that, then it's fine. But I think most people are kind of more motivated to to grow and and become more successful. So we we kind of provide one of the a really small aspect of the whole whole puzzle on on how to uh, how to to make more money in uh, in the emerging markets. Yeah. And those, you know, there's a lot less competition in those other countries too, just because they do get ignored occasionally. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah. and I think the, the kind of the advantage is that, uh, these developers actually go after these markets. I mean, they're huge markets. There's mm-hmm. 1.4 billion people in India. Right. There's going right. to be as many smartphones in India soon as, as in the U S. So it's not like it's, you know, a tiny, tiny country or a tiny user base that they're, that you're going after, but kind of getting there early and figuring out how to engage the local audience uh you know what languages you need to translate into the the earlier you get there the the better because if we look at kind of how android and windows phone launched then uh, some of the most successful apps to this date are, are those apps that went to those platforms first and then went after those users who didn't really have any kind of entertainment or or high quality content uh content available to them so I think it's still still a relatively uh, untapped market, especially on on Windows Phone with the with the smaller apps and consequently less competition in in the store. Okay, so let's it, talk about. I'll oh, go ahead, Carl. But as we're still talking about localization and stuff, you know, you know, I have as an app developer a lot of my apps prepared for localization, but you know, in a lot of these emerging markets, you know, how how do I figure out which languages to go to? In, in order to to help that, because I, I can only imagine that if I if I do that correctly and I provide the right language support, I'm going to get more people paying for that app and using it. You know, how, how, is that something that, you know, I as a developer just have to, you know, pick and choose and kind of play with? Or is, or is there some, you know, good guidelines on some the, some common languages that would help get, you know, Africa or s- some of the Asian countries uh, if you're point. looking at kind of getting the biggest number of users to understand your app with the least effort of translations, then uh, most likely the, the top five languages would be uh, Chinese, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, uh, Russian, and uh, Arabic. So if you have those five, uh, five uh, languages covered, you have uh, all of Latin America covered, uh, China covered, Russia covered, Eastern Europe covered, and most of Middle East and North Africa covered. So uh, those are kind of the five essential languages that you that you need to have. Of course, it also depends on uh, what markets you have the biggest number of users in currently. So, for example, if you have a lot of uh, 
users in Philippines, it might also make sense to translate that into, into Filipino. But kind of from, from our side, our payment solutions are localized as well. And, and that's kind of the, the translating the app and translating the entire user experience from download to finalizing a payment inside the game or, or an application is, is extremely critical because you can kind of put yourself in a shoes, in the shoes of a person, for example, in Russia who doesn't speak English. Even if your app is localized and you have a store or, you know, some premium features in there, uh, if they end up at the payment window and the payment window is in a language that they don't understand, <laughs> a good I mean, how, how likely would you be uh, be willing to make a payment or enter your credit card data if <laughs> the text is in, in Russian or Chinese, for example? Yeah. Most, most likely not uh, not too confident. Uh, That's a good point. In, in that. Okay. But, um, but it's very, very def definitely the localization also depends on, on the type of app. So, for example, if we take a game like Rovio's Angry Birds or, you know, the Flappy Bird One Hit Wonder, uh, it's an extremely text or rather a graphics based game. And right. you probably don't need to really uh, worry about the localization that much because it's extremely intuitive. But the more kind of text and less visuals you have in the app, then it definitely needs needs more localization. Makes sense. Uh, so let's take a step back. What um, you know, I know we've talked about Windows phones, but what um, what other platforms are supported? Um, I guess the first question is Windows supported, and then what about iOS, Android? I guess that those are the big ones. Yeah. So. We obviously tried to cover all the important uh, segments of the market. Uh, yeah, on Microsoft side, we have Windows 8, Windows 8.1, uh, mm -hmm. Windows Phone 8, Windows Phone 8.1, and also Windows Phone 7.5, uh, which uh, doesn't have that much market coverage anymore, but uh, uh, still useful to have. And uh, then we have products also for Android. Uh, we've been there for a while. Then um, also web payments. So basically, whatever device you have that can show web, uh, you can make a mobile payment uh, with. So uh, smart TVs, for example, is a rising uh, trend uh, amongst our homes. Uh, what uh, concerning iOS, then Apple with its uh, walled garden is very specific. Uh, no mobile payments or third-party payments there. Uh, but essentially, if you have a mobile web app uh, on iOS, then we have a nice, uh, nice web payment uh, window that looks very good and works on iOS as well. Okay. And surprisingly, cool. also uh, there's a lot of feature phones in the world, so we uh, we actually have a web web flow for for those phones because pe people are actually playing playing games on those feature feature phones as well. Yeah, what was that game on uh, Nokia? Was like the the it was Snake? Snake? Is that what it was called? Snake. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that didn't have in-app purchases, but yeah, pretty much people. I mean, uh, it, for some people, it's the only form of kind of this easily accessible, cheap entertainment. So, so people are actually spending spending money in in apps like that as well. Okay, um, so uh, I was I'm trying to understand. I'm 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 absorbing a lot of information here, but what I'm trying to understand. If I'm if I'm building a Windows Phone app uh, for the initial purchase, you you mentioned that Microsoft hasn't made all these carrier billing deals. So for that initial purchase, um, Fortumo isn't involved in that, correct? For the first app purchase, 
if it's a paid app, then then yeah, uh, we we are not related to that. If it's so, so any, anything that can be bought inside of the application, then uh, that's kind of where where our our SDK okay. comes in and provides which the, uh, provides the which arguably is the bigger market because everybody's switching to this model where you know this freemium model where you buy the or you get the app for free and then everything is in app purchases. Um, so I'm. I guess what I'm trying to understand if if you're in a market where Microsoft hasn't made that carrier billing deal, um, do those people have to buy the app with a credit card? How does how does that work? I think on the store side, yeah, basically, if there's no Microsoft provided carrier billing available and it's a paid app and you don't have a credit card, then uh, you're you're out of luck. Ouch. That's that's, that's <laughs> the same. That's the same on on Android and iOS right. as well. So. So in that case, it's it's nothing uh, nothing different. From Man, they need to they need to hand that off to you guys. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> cool, cool. Um, let me see here. Um, oh, so I think we talked about kind of the 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 trend. So one thing I want to understand is your is your monetization model and and what the opportunities are here. Mm-hmm. So how our business model works is that. Creating an account with Fortumo is free. Setting mm-hmm. up the payments, the SDK, everything on that side is free. And we operate on a, on a commission basis. So essentially, we're only making money if you're making transactions inside of your app or web service and you're getting payments. Right. How, how the kind of the fees break down is, uh, is that the mobile operators take uh, their part, which is usually a bigger chunk. Uh, we take uh, anywhere between one to five percent of the transaction, mm-hmm. depending on the market, and then the rest goes to the uh, to the developer. So, the mobile operator revenue shares vary country by country. Uh, mm-hmm. In usually in Western markets, it's somewhere between uh, the payouts to developers are somewhere between sixty to seventy percent. Uh, if we go to emerging markets, they can be uh, as low as thirty percent. So, uh, and that's kind of really one of the only downsides of carrier billing is that in some markets, the revenue shares are lower than, than the kind of the standard 70, 30% app store split. Mm-hmm. But uh, essentially, there, there's no other way to make money in a market like India or Brazil anyway. So, yeah, because people don't pay anything for the phones. Uh, they can't afford the plans if they're not inexpensive. Um, so, so they got to get them somewhere is what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So 50% of, let's say $10 is better than a hundred percent of zero dollars. Right. Right. Kind of the, kind of the summary to that. But that, what's also important to note the, here is that since we're a third party payment provider, then the, uh, the Microsoft store uh, fee doesn't, doesn't apply to us. So we make the payouts directly to the developer and the 70-30% split doesn't really come into into play there. So if I say, for example, that in the UK, you know, you're getting a 70% payout, then that's the payout you're getting and there is no additional deduction from the uh, uh, from, from the Microsoft uh, Microsoft side uh, side there. Mm-hmm. So Matthias, you had an infographic recently that I came across that I thought was really cool. So it's what are the five biggest developer mistakes in emerging markets? And um, I wanted to just kind of walk through these and have you talk about them. So like the first one here, uh, let me pull it up here. First one was like uh, no localization. Uh, do you want to do you want to kind of talk through each of these on this uh, list of five items you have? 
Yeah, sure. So this uh, over the years kind of has become somewhat of a mantra for us, these five key key things mm -hmm. when, when talking to developers. Because going back to what we were speaking about earlier, then uh, a lot of developers are happy with their audience in the US or, or Western Europe, uh, which are rather uh, similar markets, both culturally and lang uh, in a language sense. So uh, most developers don't really understand how to engage with an audience in, let's say, Brazil or Philippines in the in the other side of the world. Kind of the five key things that we've come up with, which, which are the main issues, are, as you said, localization, uh, which we also touched upon. So basically, if a user cannot understand your app, they're not going to engage with it. And at the end of the day, they're not going to, to make any payments uh, payments either. And for some markets, that also goes for, for design. So, for example, uh, if you download a Chinese game or, or a Japanese game, they look very much different to, to what you're used to uh, in seeing graphically in, uh, in Western apps. Uh, for example, also, you know, the placement of the, of the text inside the game. So if you have uh, Arabic text, it needs to be on the right uh, rather than the, the left. So yeah, that's when things it. really start to get tricky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second part is uh, is pricing. Mm -hmm. So um, going back to India here and these kind of people charging the money to their uh, mobile phone accounts, then the average money or the average amount that the user charges to their phone bill in India is somewhere around 50 rupees. And that translates to, I believe, um, around two or three dollars. And that's all of the money that they have on their phone account. So if you have, for example, an in-app purchase that is $5 or $10 or $20, you're immediately eliminating most people who would otherwise be making a payment. So not only going local with the uh, language and the graphics, but also taking a look at the pricing and taking a look at the local user uh, income and how much they realistically have, have money to pay. Because if the income difference is 40 times, then the user user is not going to to pay you the same amount in India or or Vietnam that they are paying you in uh, in the U.S. Yeah, so the idea there would be to to target quantity over you know the quality, I guess the the high price. Yeah, pretty much. So, for example, as I said earlier as well, I think uh, India specifically we have a ten times bigger transaction volume in the country. Right. Obviously, the Average payment is much smaller as well, but it but the kind of the volume compensates for the uh, lower revenue uh, for or lower revenue per per user. Uh, so localization pricing is the second part. Uh, then I would say that the payment channels are the third part. This is kind of a shameless self promotion, but uh, you know also. In, in addition to carrier billing, uh, there's solutions like Yandex Money for uh, Russia, Park Seguro for Brazil, uh, Alipay for, for China. So integrating, especially as Windows Phone Store and Windows 8 Store uh, allow it, integrating these third-party payment solutions means that you're guaranteeing that a larger amount of people can make payments to you. If you rely only on credit cards, then you're not you're basically leaving some of the uh, some of the money on on the table uh, social media and social media integrations is the first part so you might have a facebook login for the us uh, for russia it makes sense for example to add kontakte which is a russian social network 
for China, you know, China has their own uh, social platforms. You need to integrate those there and kind of look at what the most popular social networks are in each market. Because yeah, Facebook and Twitter might be big in, in the countries that where we, we live in, but it's not the same uh, same globally. And kind of the fifth aspect that I think the infographic covered was so was channels of distribution. This really doesn't apply to to Windows Phone, uh, Windows Phone or Windows 8 that much because it was more related to Android, and most developers only stick to Google Play, whereas there's a big bunch of different uh, alternative Android channels uh, uh, available where you can get additional users and consequently additional revenue. It does apply to, to Windows Phone and Windows 8 in the sense that there's a bunch of mobile operators out there who might be willing to promote your app if you have carrier billing added and if you have a really cool and popular application in the country. And it also applies to going after device manufacturers. So, for example, uh, there's a bunch of, uh, in addition to, well, now Windows Phone uh, or rather Microsoft Phone, I think what the new name is, it used to be Nokia brand, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's the Lumia brand. Um, and then the logo is what the, the Microsoft logo and it just says Microsoft. Mm. So, so in addition to, to Microsoft smartphones, now you have a bunch of uh, device manufacturers, for example, in India making windows phones. Uh, you have a lot of manufacturers in China making these phones and going to them and saying, Hey, I have this awesome game or, you know, functionality app. Uh, can you put it on your devices before you ship them out and let's split the revenue, for example, mm -hmm. these are kind of the five things that, uh, we from our side think are, are the biggest mistakes that developers usually make and avoiding these mistakes and going after the opportunities helps become more, uh, more successful in, in emerging markets. No, that's great. I, I love, this is, this is awesome. You're really opening my eyes to, um, <laughs> you know, the, the rest of the world out there, I, I think, uh, I think it's a huge mistake ignoring this market. Well, maybe it wasn't the mistake a couple of years ago when only people in the U S and Europe had smartphones. Yeah. But uh, if we're looking at, you know, China already overtook the U S in mobile devices, same thing is happening soon in India. Uh, once Africa gets a little bit more, um, when they grow a little bit, uh, then uh, people will start buying smartphones there as well. And kind of the, in a sense, the growth for smartphones in the Western markets is pretty much over by now. Mm -hmm. And the developers who are looking for, to, to get to kind of continue the growth, they need to uh, turn their eyes towards these, these markets uh, in Latin America, Asia, Africa. Yeah, people don't realize, you know, the third best uh, selling smartphone in the world is the uh, Lumia 520. Uh, and it's because it's a low cost phone. Y you can buy it off contract and uh, it's just killing it in other countries. And, uh, you know, when I tell people that, I mean, most people are just completely shocked by that. They just they had they had no idea that that was the case. They, they wouldn't think that it would be on the top 10 or yeah. that it would be like one of the flagship phones, right? Like the. 1520 that I have or the 1020, they'd say, Oh, maybe that's on the list, but that's, you know, that's a hundred spots lower on the list. Yeah, exactly. And this goes again, back to, you know, if the average user or average income in India is that much smaller, they're not going to buy the latest, greatest flashy mm -hmm. iPhone. They're going to buy the phone that they can afford 
uh, but which will allow to to connect them to the internet, download apps, uh, play games, and and so on. So there, I think kind of Android and Windows Phone are pretty much equal uh, equal competitors, and it will definitely be interesting to see what what kind of next year, for example, will uh, will bring. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we move on? Mm, Did we I cover everything? No. Jana? Uh, no, if, uh, if everything that we just spoke uh, sounds interesting, then check out our developers portal, uh, see how easy the integration is. And uh, yeah, as Mike just said, everything is free, uh, no monthly fees, so you can just test us out. Yeah, okay, cool. but we're going to only make money if you make money. That's the bottom line. <laughs> right, right. I feel like there's so much information in both of your heads that that I would just love to know <laughs> whenever it comes to publishing this stuff worldwide. So this is opening my eyes to that whole world. So That's yeah, when we have those artificial intelligence uh, magic tricks, then mm -hmm. uh, the next step we need uh, thought transfer. Yeah, yeah. I just saw, I don't think we included it in the news, but there was some remote control car that would, uh, it would work off your thoughts. So they, they're probably pretty close on, uh, thought transfer. <laughs> okay. So Azure pick of the week. So what I've picked this week is Redis cash. So have you ever worked with Redis Carl? No, I have not. Okay. So it's, it's a very popular open source, uh, caching system. And to be honest, I have no idea what it takes to get uh, a Redis cluster up and running, but you can set up, you know, multiple Redis machines and, and do things like replication and high availability. But what's great is if you run this through Azure, you basically just go into the portal and you say, give me Redis and you have a Redis instance, and then you can use this as a key value store and you can, you can pick your options for uh, your SLA and um, your high availability and your scale. And once you, once you have an instance of the service set up, you can just start sending values to it. So it's, you know, it's a key value store and, uh, it's meant to be super high performance for, for the caching needs of your, of your application. So, you know, on the surface, it's pretty simplistic, but it's super powerful. This thing, you know, really runs a lot of the biggest sites in the world. Um, the, you know, the caching portion of those sites. And uh, I think it really highlights also the power of the cloud and, and uh, you know, we always, whenever we talk cloud, we always talk elasticity and all, you know, all these other things, uh, scalability, but one of the, the real world things that, that developers get out of this is the ability to push a button, get a service and start using it. Um, so I think this really highlights that. So I'll include a link to the, to this in the show notes. I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but it's worth checking out if you need a caching mechanism for your application. And then what do you got for the app of the week? Well, a lot of my questions uh, today were, you know, I had a lot of thought behind other languages, and that's because of this app of the week. It's a game that came out for Windows Phone already. We're on Android and iOS called Duolingo. Mm -hmm. it, it gamifies learning a new language. Um, if you're already an English speaker, some of the languages that you can learn for free, this is a free app, are Danish, German, Dutch, Spanish, French, Italian, and Portuguese. So, uh you know, with the the internet being you know worldwide place, you know I, I have a lot of people I would consider friends that English is not their first language, and I've I've always been interested in other languages. I've I, I've lived in Japan for a year. I know a little bit of Japanese, so languages you know always have a little bit of special place in my heart. And this kind of is is a fun way to 
pick up and get better at some of those languages that aren't my uh, native language and uh, getting into it, 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 they take a different approach to the game of learning a language kind of in, in some cases, giving you a hint to what words mean, but without actually telling you ahead of time, making you figure it out, which kind of implants that in your head a little bit further. So I've been having a lot of fun with this. Go check it out. Um, like I said, this is for any uh, smartphone that you have. We'll have the link in the show notes for the Windows phone app and for their website. Yeah, I've been wanting to check this out. And have you, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this in the show. Have you talked about the Skype translator? Uh, we announced it when I, when they first showed the demos this year. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think it's publicly available yet. But man, that just that's mind-blowing. Have you guys seen this? Have you seen the Skype translator? Uh, no, uh, no, I've seen some links, but uh, I don't really. Yeah. Know so, yeah. So basically it's, um, um, it's Skype, but the difference is that, um, you, you can talk to somebody who does not speak the same language. So you speak and it actually changes it, uh, into their language. And whenever they speak back, it, it translates it back. So you but can the sit key, there. Yeah. Go the, ahead, Carl. The key is it does it in real time as you're speaking. Right. It, it, there's no lag where you speak and then there's a pause and then it says it. It it does that translation on the fly. You know, your volume's lowered. The computer translation is, you know, has a high volume so you can hear it and it looks like they're actually speaking it. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's really yeah. crazy. Yeah, I've been using Duolingo for a while, and okay. I love it. I think, uh, yeah, I have a special place for languages in my heart as well. And I try all the new apps, and uh, Duolingo is the only one who what has really stick. Uh, so the game communication okay. there really, really works, and I'm happy that uh, they came to uh, Windows Phone as well. Uh, many, unfortunately, today, uh, yeah, haven't. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm definitely, I just downloaded it. I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. Cause I, I, I don't, my, my brain seems to be incompatible with new languages. So I'm hoping that there is some kind of hack that I can use and maybe this is it. Yeah. The hack is that there are your friends who are so close to your uh, progress. So you will do one more set of uh, exercises and, uh, and you get better. So oh, that's works. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause my son, you know, he's learning Spanish and for, I think the past four weeks, he's had like kind of the same set of words and, uh, uh, you know, I've been sitting there quizzing him. So I've basically been quizzed for four weeks on 30 words. Right. And my wife said one of the words the other day and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I just, I can't, I can't remember 30 words in Spanish. Yeah. What's cool with Duolingo is that it will uh, let you on to the next level, to the next 30 words, only if you really know those first 30. So, okay. So the, yeah, one of the issues with learning languages is that you kind of skip some fundamentals because you get tired of them, Uh, but that's really bad. You really need. So what you learn with Duolingo, my experience is that you really learn it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, what I'll do for like 30 days is I'll replace Reddit with Duolingo and master a new language. Yeah. Okay. So we can limit it one week. Uh, even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got a game for you guys. Uh, so let's see, why don't you, Matthias, why don't you go first? So pick a number between one and four. Two. Two. Okay. You got to answer this question. Would you rather wet your pants in front of your schoolmates <laughs> or be caught picking your nose and eating it? <laughs> Uh, I would say the first one. That's kind <laughs> okay. of that's kind of more 
accidental <laughs> well and, and yeah and and you could say like oh i just i spilled well actually i guess it's in front of your schoolmate so um i guess you can't really say like i spilled something say it's a medical condition <laughs> and then yana pick a number between one and four uh four four okay would you rather be knocked down by accident by a man weighing 300 pounds who is jogging or by a 70 pound girl riding on a bicycle I, I guess uh, I will have more probability to survive this with a girl with a bicycle. Depends okay. how fast she's going, but yeah, I would like to survive, which whichever gives me that. Yeah, I, I assume the bicycle is going faster. I don't know. I don't I don't make up these questions, by the way, here. I, they can't see the listeners can't see this, but I these are all on, on cards. So, OK, Carl, pick a number between one and four Four. OK. <laughs> nice. Uh, would you rather have your entire room be pink or wear only pink clothes? I'm glad a guy got this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go with the pink room. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to wear pink clothes all the time? I mean, you know, I, I have a couple of pink shirts, but I, I wouldn't want to be dressed solely in pink. Yeah. <laughs> this game, I don't know what we're going to do when I run out of cards. I only have, oh, we got, we got weeks worth of cards, so we're still good. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, so we're going to include um, links to everything in the show notes for you guys. But uh, where where can they find you guys if they want to uh, learn more about you guys or more learn more about Fortumo? I guess all of the information is available at our homepage, Fortumo.com. So okay. F-O-R-T-U-M-O.com. Mm-hmm. There's links to the developer portal there. There's links to the blog where the infographic that you mentioned is located Basically, that's that's the go to go to place. Okay, and then Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer or at my website wpdevguy.com. Okay, and then for the show, you can send feedback to feedback at msdevshow.com. Make sure that you subscribe to the show uh, by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. I know we've uh, Every month we've been, we've had, uh, you know, huge uptick in listeners. So I want to make sure you guys aren't just going through the webpage. Make sure you subscribe that we always get the latest episodes. And then uh, um, all the links and show notes are on msdevshow.com. And then make sure you leave us a review in whatever your favorite podcasting app is. So iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or whatever you happen to use. Uh, and you can find me at ytechie.com or at twitter.com slash ytechie. And uh, again, I want to thank uh, Matthias and Yana for coming on here and uh, teaching us about mobile payments. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun.